egg McMuffin. And I get some ham. And then I go into the, to the refrigerator and I pull out the muffins. They had been in there for a while. <laughs> but I did not let that dissuade me. The best way to cover up mold on a muffin is to toast it. So I feel good today because I had the breakfast of champions. <clears throat> now you know, for every guy here who's thinking, oh, I was going to have a sandwich and there's mold on the bread, toast it. <laughs> toast it. Little mold never hurt nobody. As we open up the word this morning, we take a look at the, what the Lord has for us. In the book of Ephesians, I hope to finish Chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, as we've been going through, we've been kind of taking our time because what Paul's talking about is so important for us to grasp and hold on to. That is that we shouldn't allow anything in life, those little disappointments, to pop up, that crop into our life to rob us of our hope and our faith and our love. But that we would stay focused rather on the blessings that we have, right? On the good that still is there. So he spoke to us. He sang a song to us. The chorus of election. That God chose us and he'll keep us. That's good news. And God's choosing, the word said, is on him. Not on us. So that means once we receive him, then he promises to make sure we make it to the end. He's going to make sure that we arrive. He went on to the course of redemption. The course of redemption tells us that that no matter how things look around us, God is able to redeem us from the mess to His glory. That we're twice His. He made us and He bought us. And that He is able to turn all those things around. He, He sang to us the chorus of salvation. That he has given us and in Christ we find the secret is everything we need. Everything we need. A lot of things I thought I needed, but I found satiation or satisfaction in Christ. In him. Delving deeper into what God has for us. Well, as we come to the end there of that song in verse 14, he continues to go on and, and lays out for us. Now, as we see that, where do, we go, where do we go from here? Well, he tells us in verse 15, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. He's going to talk about faith and love. Faith and love is that natural outpouring that occurs in a life that's in Christ Jesus. We walk how? By sight? By faith. By faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. That means no matter what's going on around us, we trust Him. And how else do we walk? We walk in love. Love for who? For all the saints. Not just for the ones you like. For all the saints. We have faith, saving faith, enduring faith, and we have love for one another. He lays out that this, when he sees this in the life of the Ephesians, compels him to give thanks to the Lord, to be thankful to God, to be thankful unto him. But this is that real faith. This is not that just ho-hum faith. There was a fellow one time that was out duck hunting. It's my story. I can tell it any way I want, right? (laughs) 
He's out ducking. He went down to the Snake River in his waders and his shotgun. And as he's walking down there, it was cold outside. And the water was frozen. Or at least it looked like it was frozen. And this fella got up there on his waders and them first few steps were real ginger. Listening for cracks. A couple of cracks on that step. He's a portly fella. (laughs) Took a couple more steps out on that ice. But you know what? The ice was holding. It was holding pretty soon. He's trucking out on the ice like, hey, no big deal. This is solid. He come to the edge, dropped down in the water, shot himself a gaggle of ducks, loaded them up and went back home. Sometimes our faith is like that. When we first start walking with the Lord, it's like walking on that ice. Is this going to hold me? And we take those ginger steps real slow. But when we understand the truth that God has us, that he's going to keep us, that he saved us from something to something, that God has a plan, we're able to truck on the ice. We're not worried about it. We're in God's hand. And God's going to carry us through. So he says, I see this faith. And I see this love practically expressed in the life of the believers. Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this they will know you are my disciples, by your love one for another. In the Old Testament, when God was laying out his law, he told them in a summation of the law, here it is. You want to keep my commandments? Love me. Love me. Jesus says a new commandment now. More than just loving God, I want you to love your brothers. I want you to love your sisters. I want you to love the family of God. So when we're walking in that blessing, you want to know, am I walking in the blessing? Am I counting the blessing that God's given me? Or do I just see the moldy muffin? Put it in the toaster. Change the way that you see things. Change the way that you look at the things around you. We're going to see that there is still good. That we can trust God. That God's going to carry us through. So, we'll walk in faith and we'll walk in love. If we're not walking in faith and love, we're not counting our blessings. And so we're stumbling. But we want to be in Christ Jesus. As much in Christ as we can be. Fully filled with the power of his spirit to do whatever he's called us to do. Then I need to count my blessings. God chose me. He redeemed me. He saved me. I've been forgiven. I'm going to be kept until the day when I see him face to face. Man, it helps me walk in faith. And encourages me to walk in love. And Paul's response to all that is to give thanks to the Lord. Because who does that? It's him. It's being in him. It's Christ Jesus who does that perfect work for us. So then he's going to begin to pray. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's he's going to give us a key to how Paul prayed for these people. How did he pray for the brethren? How did he pray for the church? How did he lift them up? Well, he gave thanks, but then you see he he prays also that the Lord would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's praying that the Holy Spirit of God, which reveals to you and I everything we need to know about Jesus. Isn't that what the Bible said? 
Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come, not speaking of himself, but speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I must go, that he would come. And it's good for you that I go and he come. Because you will be endowed with power from on high to be who I'm calling you to be. Here Paul says, I want you to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. All the things we need, all the abilities that we possess, all the gifts and talents that we have are worthless if they're not brought to God in submission to him and led or we are not guided by the Holy Spirit as we move forward. So Paul prays. I pray that he'll give you that spirit. I pray that he'll pour out the spirit of wisdom and of revelation upon you. And then he goes on and says, in the knowledge of who? Jesus Christ, the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. That's what the Spirit, his focus is for us. To help us understand and know him. Listen, in the Old Testament, God was the unknowable God. You couldn't see him. You you, you couldn't touch him. You really didn't have a, a relationship with him. It was a very scary time. Scary when they considered what God was and what God wanted. In fact, every time someone came face to face with God, they thought they were going to die. Scary time. Moses one time, the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to send you to my people. And Moses says, but when I go, who do I say sent me? And he says to him, you tell him I am. Now, if I was Moses, what would be the next question? I am what? (laughs) He just, you tell him I am. I am has sent you. You know what's fascinating? When we read the gospel of John... It is centered around seven what? I am statements that Jesus Christ made. Seven things that Jesus Christ said to reveal who God is to us. Because Jesus Christ is the very expressed image of the invisible God. That he is almighty God in the flesh that we can relate to, that we can understand, and we can come to know him, epigenosis, Not just a a knowledge like I know who he is, but a knowledge in an intimate, relational understanding of who he is in Christ Jesus. And that's revealed to you and I by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in our life, laying out for us those things that God wants us to, to hold on to and to understand. So this is his prayer to them. Listen, this is my prayer to you. That you, that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That you would know him. That you would know God. Now, I on occasion have had opportunity to meet what some people would call relatively famous folks. For example, George W. Bush. One time when I was ministering in 29 Palms, he came to our church. I was doing the chapel on the Marine Corps base and he came to that Marine Corps base and wanted to come to church. So he came in, sat down right on the front row. We did worship for him and we had a message for him and afterwards he'd shake our hands and he left. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. I know things about George Bush, but I don't know him. And he don't know me. That's the kind of knowledge that the scripture is talking about with God. Not just I know about him, not just that I know he exists, but that I have an intimate, close understanding of who God is and how God is working in my life. That you might know him. Jesus said many people will say in those days, 
Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? They didn't have the epigenosis. They had no knowledge. They knew who he was. They knew he existed. But they didn't have that intimate knowledge. A relationship. See, it's not tradition. It's not religion. It's a relationship. Do you have a relationship with the the God of the universe? Because you can know him. And Paul's prayer is that you would know him. In Philippians chapter 3, I love this verse. It says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. That I might know him. That was Paul's goal, focus in life, that I would know him, that I could understand him, that I could have a relationship with him. And he's revealed to us through the Son, Jesus Christ. He reveals God to us. That's what John chapter 1 tells us. He reveals Him. He shows us. He gives to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we can know God. We can know God's will. We can know what God wants to do in our life. But it's about whether we're willing to move from that head knowledge, I know He exists, to that intimate knowledge that has a relationship that gives and receives from what the Lord has for us. Well, as he lays out this understanding, the whole point of this prayer is that point, that we would come to know him, that we would have a better knowledge of who Christ is. But don't lose sight of the fact, where does that deep knowledge come from? 1 Corinthians, if you guys want to turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, is a very familiar scripture. I guarantee that you've heard this scripture before. But we're going to read a little beyond this beginning in verse 9. And hopefully understand where this deep knowledge is going to come from. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So he's praying the Holy Spirit would be poured out in our life and that we would know him. Everything's going to step off, move forward from that point that we might know him, that we might understand him better. And then he begins to speak on how that's going to be occurring in our life. Look, verse 18, he goes on, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, who believe. So not only do we want to know him, but he's praying that you'll receive the spirit and you'll have eyes to see spiritual things. Don't we need eyes to see spiritual things? Man, if we can change our focus and how we look at the events that are going around us, we can have those eyes of faith, that walk of faith, that walk of love. One of the the best examples for me in the, in the past few months has, uh, has been Jeannie. Jeannie Reynolds going through what she's been through. And by the way, she got really good news this week. 
Huh. She got really good news. If I mess it up, you jump up and holler, okay? <laughs> the really good news she got, her cancer, they went in and looked at the tumor in her brain. At one time was four centimeters. Is that right? Uh, anyways, it was a certain amount. And now when they look, they can barely distinguish it. It's still a little there, but they can barely distinguish it. That's how much the tumor has shrunk. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection. God's ability to save, huh? The, the rest of the tumors are all shrinking. All the, all the cancer, the tumors in her body are shrinking. So God is working in Jeannie's life through the, the medicine that the doctors have been giving her. He's bringing about healing because he's the only one who can. And that's something to praise God for. But you see, when we're faced with that situation, we can decide that we're just going to look at the bad, right? I'm just going to focus on the mold. (laughs) I'm going to have you all eating moldy bread by the time this is over. Or I can choose to focus on the power of God to save. Now you understand what I'm saying. In our lives, that mold is anything that we get that takes our eyes off of Jesus Christ. We may know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to be looking at him every day. I want to have my gaze intently cast toward him. But just like Peter, when he was walking on the water, what happened? What did he start to look at? All the storm, right? The waves, the wind. He started getting his focus off of Jesus Christ and on the junk. And what happens? We sink. We sink. We want to walk in faith and love, then we got to have eyes to see that that storm is there because God brought that storm. And that wind's supposed to blow. And that doctor was supposed to say, cancer. And sometimes God works a, a great miracle And he brings his healing into people's lives. And sometimes God takes people home. Are you okay with it? I'm okay with it. God's God. God knows what he's doing. I choose to have eyes on him and trust him in both situations. It's easy to trust him when he's healing. It's a whole other thing to trust him when he says, no. This part of your race, this part of your journey that you're going through, you're going through to glorify me as you come home. I'm okay with that. I really am. And the key to being okay with that is have your eyes on Him. Do you have your eyes on Jesus or on everything else? That the eyes, that our eyes, the eyes, our spiritual eyes would be enlightened to see what is three things. The first one is the hope of our calling. What is exactly the hope of our calling? What does scripture lay out for us? What's that all about? Hope, folks, is always dealing with that which is yet to come. Let me tell you what the hope of your calling is. That you're gonna make it home. Sometimes I worry about that. Sometimes in the midst of all the chaos that was my life and all the poor decisions and bad things that I ever did, there were times I wondered if I was ever gonna come through. But God's word says that I am elect, that I am chosen, and I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. He is able to keep me. 
Right? He keeps me. He's going to see me through. If I have begun a good work in you, I will what? See it to completion. I'm going to finish what I started. That's what God said. Now, the bad news is you and I, we don't always finish what we start. But God does. Every single time. The hope of our calling. The hope of our calling. Listen, the scripture lays out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or our joy or the crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? What is your hope? That you're going to be with Jesus forever. I love the sandlot. Forever. That you are going to be with him. That God is able to see you from where you begin with him until you see Jesus face to face. And he says, that's your hope. That's your joy. Listen, the, the joy is not in the stuff we have. Otherwise, I would have had no joy after God took my Harley away. But I have joy. It's not in the stuff. It's not in the stuff. And God was so good, he gave me the two mirrors. I still have the two mirrors. They, they weren't scratched. <laughs> I'm just slowly building the Harley back up. Listen, that's, that's not my joy. My joy is in him. My joy is in his return. My joy is that I'm going to be with him forever. And it don't matter how bad it gets here, that's the worst it can ever be. It don't matter what happens, who takes my job, who takes my place. Say The, the landlord kicks me out of my house. Uh, I don't have any money. I don't have any food. Everything is just going upside down. It's as bad as it can ever be because no matter what happens here, I am going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I am going to see him face to face. Eye to eye. The Bible says in Corinthians that now we look through a glass darkly, but then how? Face to face. And we'll know him like he knows us. Isn't that great? Man, what an incredible hope to hold on to. What an incredible thing to grasp, to, to hold in our hands. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, it says, But let us who are, who are of the day be sober, and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Listen, I, I heard a story one time when, <clears throat> when I was in the Marine Corps, and I have since... Uh, spread that around. During the Vietnam War, there was a platoon that got cut off from the rest of its company, and they were in this big old crazy firefight. And they're in this big old crazy firefight, and in that firefight, they're running out of ammo. They, they can't get resupplied because they're cut off from uh, their company. So in this, this big old fight, running out of ammo, everything's pretty, pretty slim. They're saying, hey, just conserve all the ammo you can. They're picking up the, the enemies that are lying around them. They're picking up their rifles. And they begin to talk about that cursed thing, especially if you're in the Marines. Maybe we should surrender. It's not working out, man. We're, we're all going to die here. Well, listen, the company commander knew that they were out there and he couldn't get to them, but he wanted to get word to them. And he couldn't get word to them. They didn't have a radio, so they weren't able to communicate. So he got a guy to fly over in a Huey and he dumped out of the side of the Huey a bunch of notes, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of notes that said, don't give up, we're coming. And those guys fought 
for the rest of that week, several days, with almost nothing based on the hope that their buddies were coming for them. And one day, they came busting through the brush, and they were saved. Do you realize that Jesus said the same thing to you? He said, if I go, I will prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again to bring you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. What's he saying? Hang in there, I'm coming for you. So what do we put on to to guard our thoughts? The helmet of salvation that says, I don't care what you say, devil. Jesus is coming for me. He's coming. Might be today, might be tomorrow, next week, next month. Jesus is coming for me. He's going to save me. He's going to keep me. You have no power in my life. I'm going to put the helmet of the hope of my salvation that he is coming soon. The Bible tells us to live that way. Live every day. We might see Jesus today. Live every day that way. Because it changes how we live, doesn't it? In fact, if we look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, you can flip there if you want. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, he's got an example. Listen, this is what I want you guys to understand, he said, concerning this hope. Concerning the promises that, that God has for us. 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold... What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God? Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. But, beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when He is revealed, we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as He is pure. That means I live every day like this is the day I'm going to see Jesus. Changes my decisions. It changes the things I do. So Paul says, listen, I want your spiritual eyes to be open. And one of the ways that your spiritual eyes are open is that you hold on to your hope. The hope of your calling. That Jesus Christ has not left us orphans. And one day, he is going to bring us home. Whether we go home when we reach physical death or we go home when he returns. Either way, I'm okay. I'm going to be with Jesus forever. That my spiritual eyes would be open. That I would understand the hope of my calling. Next, listen, I don't want you to miss this. What are the riches of the glory of whose inheritance? It says his, right? Listen, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You realize what God's saying is that you are his treasure. You and me. That we're his inheritance. We are joint heirs and heirs with Christ. We inherit Jesus Christ and the adoption as sons welcomed into the family of God. But what does God get out of the deal? He gets You and me. And he calls that the riches of his inheritance. The incredible treasure of having you. Do you realize the care that God has for you? When Jesus told a story one time, he said, listen, if a man had a hundred sheep and one was lost, wouldn't he put the 99 somewhere safe and go find the one? That's what God does. Because you have value to him. 
you matter to God. That you would understand the hope of your calling and the reality that you are the riches of his inheritance. You are God's treasure. You are that which matters most to him. F.F. Bruce said it like this. Paul prays here that his readers will appreciate the value which God places on them. His plan to accomplish his eternal purpose through them is the first fruits of the reconciled universe of the future in order that our lives may be in keeping with this high calling that they may accept in grateful humility the grace and glory God has lavished on them that we would understand our value to God. You matter to him. And that's an incredible thought. To, to think about the unknowable God that we, that, we, that we couldn't have a relationship with at one time, coming, becoming known through Jesus Christ, wanting a relationship with us, and then saying, you are my treasure. You're everything I've ever wanted. When I think about all the things I want, I think, well, I'd, I'd like a, 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 a Les Paul guitar. I'd like another Harley. But... A Jeep would be kind of cool. God says, all I want is you. Everything in the universe that God could have and all he cares about is you. You are my riches. If we want to have eyes to see the reality, spiritual reality, we need to recognize that we matter to God. We need to hold on to the hope of his coming. And then thirdly, what's he say? That we would understand his power. The power of his resurrection. Let's listen to how he said it. That, <clears throat> and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now when we read that, every time I read that I say, sounds like Paul. Because he uses a lot of the same words over and over again. He uses those words over again to emphasize something. And, and it's kind of cool because when you back up and you do just a quick study in the Greek, I'm going to read it to you literal. What he is literally saying, I'm going to read that to you as Paul builds the, these words together in this statement about the power of God, what the power of God is like. And his incomparably great power, raw power, for us who believe That power or ability to conquer is like the working, an inward propulsion of his mighty physical force within us. Man, that's that's incredible. He's talking about the power of God of the resurrection resides within you. It's the propulsion. It's the gas that runs you. It's what enables you to do the things that you're able to do when we understand the power of God that we have. That we have in Christ Jesus. He's saying, man, you want to you wanna consider this mighty, mighty power. He's expressing the highest power. And he's exhausted all kind of language to try to get it done. The incredible power that we have in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we live our life like we are paupers. We don't have anything. There's nothing we can do. Meanwhile, the power of God resides within us. Are you connected to that power? 
There was a, a school in Texas right before World War II had a horrible accident and it burned down while school was in session. 263 kids died in that school fire. The town was heartbroken. When the war was over, they came together and rebuilt the school. And they put in a state-of-the-art sprinkler system. They are so proud of that sprinkler system that they had kids give tours to visitors to see the state-of-the-art sprinkler system that was in the new school. So stoked were they at this ability that they had within their school. Seven years later, the town was growing. They needed to expand the school. So they went in and they started to add on. And you know what they found out? Nobody ever hooked the water up. All that time, they had the, the understanding that it was there. They knew it was there, but they weren't connected. Are you connected to the power of God? Are you connected to that? Do you have eyes to see spiritual understanding? Do you realize the hope of your calling that you are the riches of God and that we have working within us the power of God to the resurrection? How else does God change lives? How did Peter become the Peter we read about in history? How did the disciples change from the losers they were to the winners they became? For that matter, how did I? How do we? It's the power of the resurrection working in the life of a believer through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying these are how you have eyes to see. This is how you can understand the world that you're looking at. But we have to be able to see what's going on. You guys remember Elisha? Elisha was this big time prophet, pretty cool guy, did a lot of neat things. And he had this this, uh, servant, this servant that hung out with him. What was his name? Starts with a G. Say again? Gehazi. Gehazi. You're right. I could always count on you, John. (laughs) Gehazi. And he's, he's hanging out and the armies of his enemies are encircled around them. His house. The armies of his enemies are all around him. They're ready to destroy Elisha. And Gehazi is is tripping. He's saying, what? Elisha, um, shouldn't we be doing something? And Elisha just making his ultimate breakfast sandwich. (laughs) He's popping them muffins in the toaster. And he's making sure he's got what he needs. Gehazi is, is just all he can see is the mold. What are you doing, brother? So Elisha prays, God, open his eyes so he can see. There are more for us than there are against us. And Gehazi went outside and he looked, and the armies of the Lord were around the armies that were around Elisha. There was no way they were getting through. Thousands and thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 angels arrayed for battle. And they didn't even have to do nothing. They just went, and the whole army was blind. And Elisha will take care of them himself. Go give them to the king of Israel. Say, here, these goofy guys thought they could come against me. Do you have eyes to see? Are you connected to the power of God, what God wants to do, how God wants to work in your life? Because we want to be connected to that power. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's what Philippians 3.10 said, remember? That I might know him. 
Man, I want to know him. I want to look like him. I want to talk like him. I want to be like him. I want to bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on talking about this power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. God's power of the resurrection exalted Jesus Christ to a holy place. Think about it. What he's saying is Jesus, after his death, burial, resurrection, ascended into heaven. The Shekinah glory of God, this big cloud glory of God, envelops him, lifts him up into the heavens, and there he sits at the right hand of the Father. The place of authority. But that's not all. Look what he says. Not only has he lifted him and set him in heavenly places, but verse 21 Far above all, all means what? Oh, interesting how that works, huh? Far above all principality and power, might and dominion. Does that mean there's any power, might, or dominion above him? No, because he has been seated far above all principalities, all powers, all might and dominion, and above every name that is named. By the way, that's a lot of names. That's a lot of names. I am so often blown away at the way God works. You know that in the Gospel of John, we read about the fact when Jesus was crucified, they, they wrote his charges out upon his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, remember? Well, when they wrote that out in Hebrew... It forms a neat little acrostic. In fact, that acrostic made the rabbis so mad, they said, don't say he is the king of the Jews, but that he said he was the king of the Jews, which would have changed it. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. You know what the acrostic was? Y-H-V-H. Yahweh. Yehovah. The name of God was his charge stamped out on top of the cross. Well, he has a name that is far above all names. Every name that is named. His name is far above every name. He's above every principality. He's above everything. He came in humility, died for you and I and was raised exalted above anything we can imagine the glorification that Jesus Christ received but you know what's even better than that he can't wait for you to be with him that just gives me goosebumps Jesus can't wait no he can't wait to share it with you He's up there in heaven, seated on the throne next to his father, like ready to go. Not just with his foot kicked up, not just thinking, ho hum, whatever. He's like, can I go, dad? Can I go? But you see, Jesus has put himself in submission to the father. While they're equal, he said, I won't go anywhere my father doesn't tell me to go. The beautiful thing is this this incredible picture of a Jewish wedding. Because in a Jewish wedding, when you're betrothed, husband and wife, when you're betrothed, the husband goes away and prepares a place for you. And he doesn't come back and get you as his wife until the dad says, go. That's what we see going on in heaven. 
exalted above all things, every name that is named God, a very God, sitting beside his father, waiting. He's not just, he's like, man, I cannot wait to go be with you. And not with you collectively, I mean you personally. You know, every one of us is going to have that experience face to face with God, not be in a giant crowd where God can't see us and he doesn't know us. No, you're going to know him even as he knows you. And he can't wait. Exalted above every name that is named. <laughs> Not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. All things means? Funny how that is, huh? All things, all, he put all things under his feet. Remember I said redeem means you're twice his? Colossians said he created all things. And here he redeems all things. Twice his. For I made you and I bought you. He made him to be head over all things the church. Not only is he head of everything, not only is he exalted above all things, but he's the head of Calvary Chapel Buell. Man, that's awesome when you think about that. But listen to this last verse, which is his body. Listen, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Listen, which is his body, the fullness of him. The body of Christ makes Jesus full. God's not full without the body of Christ. Listen, think about all the examples Jesus gives about his relationship to you and me. I am the vine and you are the branches. What good's a vine without branches? I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. What good's a shepherd without any sheep? I am the groom and you are my bride. What good is a groom without his bride? The scriptures laying out here, it's an incredible thing to think of. We complete him. We make him whole. He considers himself incomplete while we're not with him. Isn't that an incredible thing to, to think about? We become the fullness of him who fills everything. We become the fullness. We fill him up. We become the fullness of him who fills everything. That he says, I'm a shepherd, but I want my sheep with me. I'm the vine, but I need my branches. I'm the groom, and I want my bride. Think about that. Because so often I'll detach myself from the reality of how God is in heaven. And, and he's, this, he's this unknowable God, you know. And he's out there and I'm here and I just do what I got to do here. But the reality is he cannot wait to be with me. He cannot wait to be with you. He is so stoked at the hope and the promise of being with us for eternity. He just ready. He is ready. That's why he told his disciples, I'm coming back. 
I'm coming back. I will return. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you will be always, forever and ever. Man, I want to grasp that, completely understand it. Here's what Calvin has to say about it. The highest honor of the church is that. Unless he is united to us, the Son of God reckons himself in some measure imperfect. What an encouragement it is for us to hear that not until he has us as one with himself is he complete in all his parts. Or does he wish to be regarded as whole? Now, don't get me wrong. God doesn't need anything. God is ultimate completeness. But he reckons himself incomplete until we're with him. That means God's not finished and he's in a hurry to get done. He wants to be done. But the Bible says that he's waiting. What's he waiting for? For whosoever will to come to receive him. To those who receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Our responsibility in this relationship, to receive him. To know him. That he knows me and I know him. That we have a relationship, him and I. Every reason that I open up the word of God is so that I might know him. Every song I sing so that I might know him. Every message I hear so that I might know him. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's what we want. I got to have eyes to see. Remember my hope. Remember my riches that I have in Christ Jesus. Remember the power of the resurrection that has raised Jesus Christ to the highest place. And yet as the highest place, as God of very God... He reckons himself incomplete without us. So when God says, how can he who has already freely given us all things through Christ Jesus, his son, why would he withhold anything from us? He's given us everything, can't wait to be with us. Don't you hear the cry of your God? Hang in there. I'm coming. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But I'm coming. You be ready when I come. Be ready for that moment when we see him face to face and know him personally. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a blessing. What an incredible opportunity we have to to know you, Father. To hear this prayer of Paul in Ephesians. As we think about the blessings that we have, God, that we want to know you completely. Father, in this place, at this time, by the power of the resurrection, through the power of your Holy Spirit, move among us. Father, convict us if all we have is a surface relationship, a religion, a tradition. And it's not a a, a relationship with you. Then we would find ourselves in that category of people who would say, Lord, Lord. But you would say, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
But God, your word declares that when we do know you, you pour out your Holy Spirit in our life who bears witness, bears record with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I know you. You are my Savior. You are my Redeemer. You are my all in all. Everything I'm ever going to need is found in you. And God, it brings me such joy to realize as much as I want to be with you, you can't wait to be with me. Look forward to that day. Look forward to that opportunity. But your word does tell us. You are waiting. You are waiting for all who will receive you unto themselves. Put their faith and trust in you to come to a knowing relationship with you. Not just to know you exist or know what this says or what that says, but to really know you. The epigenosis, the overflow of understanding and knowledge poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. God, you're the one who calls us. You're the one who does the work. All we have to do is receive, appropriate the gift that you've given. So God, give us. Give us hearts for the lost. Give us willingness to share the truth that we learn today as we study your word, Father. And every day may we come closer to you and if there's anybody here lord that doesn't have that relationship with you they realize the relationship doesn't begin by magic words but your word declares in romans chapter 10 if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart we will be saved God, I just pray nobody would walk out of this place without having that opportunity to know you. That we might know you. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, that we might be conformed to the image of your son. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and continue to do. We lay this time in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we're going to have the prayer counselors move around the room. If that's you today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus and you'd want a relationship, I encourage you to to go over to one of the prayer counselors. Also, if you just have a prayer request, something you'd like to pray about, they're here to pray with you, to guide you, and to help you. As we close out in worship, we invite you to, uh, to enjoy that time of prayer. And fellowship right afterwards. Don't forget Sunday school meeting after church today. God bless you guys and go in peace.